Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be recapping the Thunder's past two games, Trey Man's breakthrough, and I'm also going to be giving you all a preview for tonight's Dallas Mavericks game. And to top it all off, I'm going to be giving a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. Guys, just an update real quick. Schedule should be back to usual. Finally done with all my finals. Work is out of the way. We're looking good for the remainder of December. And there are a lot of good Thunder games on the plate. So this will be very, very fun. And the last two games have been very fun as well. And it starts out against the Toronto Raptors earlier on in the week had this one in Toronto saw Drake uh, at one of the games think against the Rockets at the Paycom I don't think he was here at this one but you had all the guys SGA and Lou were there for the Toronto broadcast they were talking a lot about that duo as they should you have um, SGA from Toronto and then Lou is a Montreal native but this was a very intense game total back and forth for the entire first quarter really you didn't see much until the very back end the Raptors had an 8-0 run put them up top and that got them to a double digit lead through the first quarter they were up 36 to 26 kind of a similar pattern in the second quarter too you had the Raptors wavering their lead from about 6 to 10 points and then it got cut down a bit by the Thunder they got another 8-0 hot streak, though, at the very end to kind of boost them back up into the double-digit range, and that's where they stood at halftime. They're up 64-54. to Looked like the Thunder needed to make some sort of comeback efforts in that second half, and they did. A lot of the game revolved around those 8-0 streaks. That was the whole story in the first two quarters, just the 8-0 runs that Toronto could chip up. You know, two three-pointers and a layup. That's all you needed for this game. And it was a lot about uh, just the momentum shifts that you could find here. The biggest one came in the third quarter for the Thunder. They got the 8-0 run, but they kept on churning. They had 13 consecutive points, recaptured the lead in the middle of the quarter, and it just continued to snowball. The Raptors could not hit anything in the third the thunder on the flip side couldn't miss 25 to 3 closing run for okc and it put them up by 11 going into the final frame they're up 87 to 76 all you really had to do here was just sit back relax make sure you don't squander this lead and everything should be good because the raptors offense hit a major wall in that third quarter they only had 12 points and then for the thunder i mean they had 33 so two opposite sides of the story here as long as it's not a complete disaster they should be good here so you get into the fourth quarter and they're still clawing the Thunder never made that final punch to open this fourth like they had in some games last season or some even this year where they get maybe a five or six point run to open the period, either gets them situated for a comeback or pushes the lead really out of frame for the Raptors. Didn't do it. And the Raptors got to hang around until the mid portion of this quarter. And that's where they got that eight point spell yet again. This one came off in an 11-3 run. It's really all they needed. Got them back in business. Single digit game. And in the clutch, OKC kind of just fell off the grid. They could not make 
any sort of baskets. Fred Van Vliet on the other end of things, he was just feeling it. He had a three-point shot to even the game at 105. This came with a minute left in the game. And then OKC just had to shift into a completely different mode. They were just sitting back. They were relaxing. And then it got out of their hands. So the momentum was on Toronto's side. But they go out there. They miss on one end. And then Fred Van Vliet on the other side gets to the foul line again with a pair of free throws. Drains them both. You put the game up. And then they got that two-point advantage. So on the other side, you got to look to tie, do something here. SGA took it into his own hands. He was really feeling it in this one. He gets fouled at the line, hits both of his free throws, and now it is tied at 107 a pop. Justin Champagne, though, two-way forward. He was out there to close this game. Don't ask me why, but he was. He goes out there. He hits a driving layup, kind of a circus shot almost. I think he willed it in off the glass, but they were good. They get the two-point lead, and then the Thunder have really one possession to make things work. SGA's kind of going ISO at the top of the key. Then he drives inside. You got Mike Muscala going out for the pop. Nobody picked him up. SGA drove inside on really three people. He kicked it outside off the driving dish, found Mike Muscala wide open up top, and he swished it home. One point lead for the Thunder, seven seconds to go. The Raptors, they advance it off a timeout. And then you have Fred Van Vliet yet again looking to make a play. He strolls up from the right wing, shoots a really funky floater, wasn't even close, but... Justin Champagne was right under the rim. He tips it in. It goes in. Buzzer sounds. Toronto looks like they win, they win the game. I mean, it looks like it's 111 to 110, and that's it. Justin Champagne, the two-way forward, comes out of nowhere, hits the final two big baskets, but it was not meant to be. They checked it at the scores table. Fingertip was clearly on the basketball off of the tip. Really good shot by him. Doesn't matter, though. 110 to 109. They overturn the contest. They put it in the Thunder's favor, and they end up going to 8 and 16 off of the victory. That's our first back to back win in 12 games when they had the four game hot streak. But the big thing with this game came from a couple of the main guys. First one has to be SGA 26 points, two rebounds, and nine assists. The foul line has been his safe haven for a while here. No different in this game. He goes up for 12 free throws, sticks them all. From three-point land, he really has not looked that good, and that was no different in this contest. Goes two of six from there, shoots six of 17 and all, but it really didn't matter. He showed up in the clutch to get those foul shots, to kick it outside smartly to Mike Muscala, and props to Mark Dagnall for putting Mike in the game. He only played 15 minutes in this one. Had to play him down the stretch, though. It was either that or putting a guy out like JRE. So he chose Mike. JRE really wasn't feeling it. So it makes sense why they did it. And that's that's kind of why they won the game there. But still had that second fiddle in Lou Dort. He's looked amazing. Ninth 20-point performance of the year came in this one. He drops 22 points, 6 rebounds, and 3 assists. Way he was playing, a lot of it came from distance. He went 4 of 10, which is pretty damn good. And then he goes 8 of 18 overall. So he went 4 of 8 off of the twos, got to the stripe four times, hit two of those shots. Darius Baisley, 
This might have been his best game he's had in like a month. Just a major cold spell where he's averaging like five points and six rebounds. Efficiencies like in the low 30s. Very ugly. Just seemed like he'd been out of place. And it seemed like that maybe Mark Dagnall should have made some sort of move. That's what I talked about in the last podcast episode. But he made me look like a fool. This was a really good game for him. He went 7 of 8 to get 15 points. Had five rebounds to go along with it. Two steals and one monstrous block. So really all he had to do was just play off the ball. He is a very good guy when it comes to downhill. Um, When, you know, he obviously has that lane. Sometimes if it gets congested, his playmaking and just his decision-making goes down. But when he has a lot of hardwood in front of him, he looks good when he's running down uh, the floor. And then also off the ball, he's good at cutting inside. Same goes in the transition baskets. That's where a lot of that came from in this game. And that's why he was so efficient from the floor and then you have Josh Giddy as well who made an, uh, an imprint here 13 points eight assists just looked magnificent same goes from three he went three of five here and the Thunder they tallied a really good game from distance went 17 of 40 in the game kind of the major major reason as to why they won outside of that huge huge third quarter surge but moving beyond that into the last game LA came to town this looked like their biggest attendance of the season was it full capacity no but looked like it was about 60 to 70 percent full which is pretty damn good Uh, you had LeBron come into town Russell was there AD was pulled from the contest but you got to see LeBron I was in the building for that one that's the first game I've been in attendance for uh, this season outside of the BOK one where I did get to sit at the table. That was really fun. But um, yeah, it was the first time I was at the Paycom Center, as it's been coined, the Paycom Center. White court looks really good. The grayscale, you know, at first glance, it, on TV, it's like, how does this really work? I don't think it's that clean. It looks very clean uh, in person. And I almost got one of the t-shirts, like the little grayscale one t-shirt cannon literally hit my row and then it bounced down to the lower sections so whoever was down at like section 108 and got my t-shirt congratulations to you i really wish i had that right now but it is what it is i'm not that heartbroken about it It it's a really fun game just to see lebron in person it's kind of something that everyone wants to check off the box i got it done on friday but you go into this game and the lakers it was really just their game from start to finish. Now, the Thunder were up like 6-2, to two, and that's all you got from them. After that, straight up crickets from them, and then you just had the Lakers score basket after basket. They had a 12-0 run in the first quarter, and OKC could not catch up. It was a 14-point, 32-18 lead for them going into the second quarter, and then it was just the LeBron James show. And LeBron could not be phased by anybody. The main matchup for him was Darius Baisley. And it's a pretty bad matchup for the Thunder side because, look, Baze is athletic. Uh, but LeBron is also athletic. He's also very freaking strong. And he can create shots just about anywhere. That's what he did against Baze and what he did against really everybody in the second frame. He goes out there and he's playing shoot around. He's on a pop a shot. Every single shot is going in for him. He finishes with 14 points in the quarter, goes 5 of 5, hits 1-3, and then goes 3 of 4 at the charity stripe, and the offense was just rolling for them. They shot 45% from distance in the frame, 50% in all. The Thunder, 
They kept it somewhat close. They only got outscored 32 to 27 in this quarter, but there was no number one option really. And that is what stung. So going into halftime, you had the LA Lakers pushing it to 20 points. They were up 64 to 45. Big deal here, the three-point line. OKC was generating really good looks from distance. You had the Lakers playing box and one sometimes with SGA up there. They wanted to test the three. They wanted to test the corners, and nobody could convert in that first half. The Thunder shot three of 17 from deep, and then the Lakers shot 10 of 17 from deep. And you had Avery Bradley looking like a machine off of the starting unit he went three of four to pick up 11 points there and then LeBron already had 23 points by halftime so it kind of raised the question like hey is LeBron James going to get pulled in this game answer was absolutely not he rolled into the third quarter and the lead just remained for the Lakers there wasn't really that punch that the Thunder needed. I talked about it in the Raptors game, how they didn't have one to start the fourth quarter. They needed one to start this second half, and there was a little bit of one here. Yeah, I think they cut the lead to maybe like 14 points, and then you're thinking, ooh, this might get interesting. Uh, it really never got to that area, though. The Lakers outscored them again in this quarter, 29-23. to 23. That put them up 25 points going into the fourth quarter. And look, I mean, it's the Lakers, right? Like, the Lakers can't close games against the Thunder. So, you go into the fourth and you're thinking, hey, maybe this is a possibility. Like, they cannot miss shots from three. We're getting really good looks from three. So, if you just change the tides there where the Thunder continue to hit their open threes and Lakers just can't buy a basket even when they're five uh, feet away from all the defenders, then you're thinking, hey... Maybe there can be some double-digit surge to begin the game or begin the quarter, and you can make it interesting. It just never really came to light, though. You had the Lakers just put the finishing touches on this game. They end up taking this one by a wide, wide margin. Win the contest 116 to 95. All things considered, uh, this was a pretty good end score for the Thunder. 21 points is not that bad because. Really, from start to finish, they were just getting outclassed from three. The Thunder were trying to take shots from three. They were wide open. They should have been taking them, but could never really hit anything here. They shot 10 of 44 from deep, 22.7%. And then for the Lakers side, they shot 45% from three, went 19 of 42. LeBron James played 35 minutes in this game, really played all four quarters, dropped 33 points, five rebounds and six assists and oh my goodness you know he was just handing it to the thunder the entire way a lot of post turnarounds from him even just straight up like pull up three-point shots catch and shoots he was taking it in the half court and just finding a way had a posterizing dunk um i forgot i think it was on trey man actually dunked on him it was an and one conversion Looked like he kind of signaled that Trey Mann was small, did that with his hand. Uh, but then Trey Mann responded on the other side, threw down a beautiful right-handed posterizer dunk in this game. He ends up starting at the top of the key, drives left, kind of swivels around a screen at the left wing, and then takes it left baseline for the dunk. He said he, had, he didn't have a dunk uh, with the Florida Gators. He played two seasons there. Said the last time he had a major poster was in high school. So he erupted. Mark Dagnall said he's seen him go off. 
in terms of dunks before, and that was just the main one for him. But Trey Mann was the guy in this game for OKC. He lit it up. He was the only person who could generate offense, and you know that's because the major guys in SGA and Lou just got stood up. Lou went four of seventeen for eleven points, went two of eleven from distance, and then SGA he went five of twelve, one of three from deep, only got to the stripe one time, missed the foul shot. He ends up getting eleven points as well. But Trey Man as the six man. He rolls out there and nearly notches 20. He gets a career high with 19 points, goes 8 of 15 to get there, and goes 3 of 8 from deep. But I don't really care about the 3 of 8 thing. It looked like he shot about 5 for 5 from there. Cold-blooded from the corner. He had two shots in the fourth quarter where nobody was making anything. And you were just praying that the ball somehow got to Trey Mann. Every single time, he went to the left corner and he just waited for the dust to settle. They found him two consecutive times, takes it, one of them was heavily contested, and just swishes them both. So that's six points instantly you get there in about a minute 30 of play. And then you obviously get the other one, um, but his step back game is ridiculous. He can create his own shots at that mid-range level, which some people don't like it. I don't care. If it's a high-quality look, you're getting there. Take it by all means. And then even driving inside, his floater game is special. I talked about it when he was in the draft class. I said that Trey Mann, he has one of the best floaters uh, really available here. And I forgot who I gave the extra push to. I had him, I think, like second in terms of the best like decorative finisher. Maybe, it, I don't think it was Jalen Green. It might have been Jalen Green now that I think about it. But yeah, I really just loved his push shot and it has just been remarkable. It was in this game at least. I know in the summer league and, and some of the opening games, he hasn't looked that good. But he's been taking the contact around the basket, and this one, contact was not needed. He just had to get in that 10-foot range, take off for the floater, and it was going in for him. So beautiful play to create shots really everywhere. And I think at this point, he's kind of established himself as that sixth man. I know in the last episode, I talked about Ty Jerome getting consistent minutes. I think that's getting cut pronto. Kind of was already like that um, by the time I posted that, to be honest with you. But Trey Mann has just taken it to a new level. He better be getting 20-plus a game. As for uh, Ty Jerome, I think he's probably going to be hidden back as that third stringer again. Teo's going to be with the blue. And Kenrich Williams, he's just too good to not play him. 19 minutes in this game. He's kind of been averaging around that ballpark range for a little bit here. And I don't expect that uh, to get shifted anytime soon so Trey Mann was the top dog from the game loved his play kind of was able to fuel the entire OKC offense and gave you that spark to where hey you walk out of this arena you don't win the game but you do have a couple of points to talk about a few things to get excited about Trey Mann got everybody excited in that building crazy dribbling if you put him one-on-one in iso he's gonna cash out had 11 of those points in the fourth when it really was only him you didn't see sga in that quarter so it makes you think number one how does he work with sga together because they have been out there just not in big enough stints and then number two in that second unit what if you just play him as the number one ball handler that number one option it could result in some major, major scoring outputs. He looks like he could be that firecracker just needed 
off of the bench because the Thunder have not really had one to this point. Maybe he'll be the next one for 10 nights game against the Dallas Mavericks. A lot of guys could be pretty interesting injury report and that could lead to some amazing storylines. But before I get into that, I want to talk about my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Football fans, I'm sure we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game. But with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's just that simple. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long, and they will be giving new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. And here's all you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet just $1 on any team to score and win $100 in free bets if they score. You score with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required, one per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details, and if you have a gambling problem, go ahead and call 1-800-GAMBLER. But guys, moving beyond that, I want to talk about tonight's upcoming game against the Dallas Mavericks. This will be an interesting tip-off time, 6 p.m. CST. A little bit earlier than usual, but it is on a Sunday, so I'll give them a pass in terms of scheduling. Uh, but this is going to be a fun one in a variety of ways. First reason, and really the main reason here, is Luka Doncic will not be suiting up for the Dallas Mavericks. The expectation is he'll be out for a couple games, and the first game starts here against the Thunder. And then in addition to that, they don't have Willie Cauley-Stein and Sterling Brown, who's a pretty good sharpshooter. He will be out as well. For the Thunder, though, they do not have anybody currently out, which means they have a whole bag of players who can drop 20 points. And this could be a game that they genuinely steal and can kind of ride on that momentum uh, moving into the future contest. But it's got to start with SGA. He has to bounce back. I think that last game against the Lakers might have been his worst of the season in terms of just how he was out there playing. He only finishes that game with 11 points like I talked about, uh, and the efficiency was just not there either. I mean, the three-point shot, he couldn't feel it. He hasn't really felt it in a while either, but um, yeah, it goes one of three there, five of 12 in all, and just the charity stripe was never open for him. He's going to need to find that uh, either from three or at the charity stripe in this game because he's really good at attacking the basket. Obviously, we all know that. But he cannot be one-dimensional in that department. If he's going to drive inside, if it doesn't go in, well, he's going to need to get that contact and get two shots at the stripe. Uh, but if not, let's say you're not getting that, step outside for threes. If he can roll in maybe three of those 
in a short amount of time well now you have the whole entire court open up and the Mavericks they're gonna have to kind of change their offense or defense uh, excuse me accordingly from that because we've seen in the last two games like I talked about the box in one has been prevalent to where they're having two guys at the elbow two guys kind of below the basket and then the one dude just kind of chasing after SGA and it's worked really well because he hasn't hit threes and then when he drives inside well now you're going to be double teamed they're going to make you pass it outside of that three-pointer uh, but the Thunder can't hit right now they're shooting just a little bit above 30 percent that's a league low by about two percent that's freaking huge they have been really bad uh, so they need to turn the corner either as a team to blanket that uh, type of defense or SGA needs to turn it up obviously you want SGA to be that guy you want to see him drop that 30 piece won't be having Luka on him it's going to be Jalen Brunson who's a sneaky good defender anyways so we'll kind of see how that develops over the course of the night but also I want to see how the Mavericks kind of develop over the night without Luka when you're talking the leaders and drives SGA has been the number one he was that last year he has been that this year but number two is Luka Doncic he orchestrates the offense he's able to get it from any level he wants to but also as a passer he is amazing Jalen Brunson's no joke I just talked about it but it's gonna be a much different style uh, than usual for them they have Tim Hardaway Jr. he'll probably be the sixth man I think he's always kind of that guy who can go out of there and get a large chunk of points in a small amount of time Dorian Finney-Smith has looked good in a couple of these games uh, when we've seen matchups between the two teams and then you'll have to check out the two bigs in Kristaps Porzingis Dwight Powell's one of them, but how about Moses Brown? I'll get into him in a second, but that's going to be an interesting little thing to look at. I think Trey Mann's the next thing to look at, though, and it's just, is he going to stay consistent here? And if he doesn't, honestly, it does not matter. He is a rookie. He's just now getting real minutes here, but you know, if Mark Dagnall allows him to spread his wings in tonight's game, if he capitalizes, that completely turns the tide of the outlook really with him and what this team should look like maybe for the next couple of weeks or so because his performance last game was electric and he's really been electric since he's returned from the OKC Blue. He's played seven games since his recall and he's been the third leading scorer on this team. He's averaged 10.9 points, shot 34% from three. Assists have not been there. He's only averaged 0.4, but that's not really been his role as of right now. He's been either with Josh Giddy or with SGA, where he's kind of in the corner and you just kick it to him and then he'll create uh, for himself, really. If they let him bring it up himself and if there's those situations where he's not with one of the two primary ball handlers in SGA or Josh Giddy, that's when you really put the microscope on him. But just seeing how he works uh, yet again as a scorer, we know he is a lethal ball handler. He's going to create room for himself, but how does he turn that into points for either himself or his teammates? That's when you, uh, what you kind of want to look at here. I think he's the second guy in line uh, that you kind of highlight. Lou Dort should be in that conversation too, just because he didn't look like himself in the last game. Uh, but the next guys in line are going to be your front court members. That's going to be Jeremiah Robinson Earl, Mike Muscala, Derek Favors, and potentially Isaiah Roby if he gets to play because 
you're looking at a Dallas team that now is more front court heavy than more spread out when you have Luka out there. Kristaps is lethal. We know that. He kind of erupted, and he's been erupting for the Mavs this season. And then you have Dwight Powell, who doesn't have as much bounce as before because he did have that major injury last season, but he can still be a vicious guy around the basket. Moses Brown is the dude that I want to talk about, though. And everybody hates Moses Brown for some reason. That's kind of the common consensus that he only was good because the sample size and kind of the opportunity given just how OKC was constructed last year, he could get stats just stuffed anywhere he wanted to. Currently, it looks correct because he hasn't been placing major numbers for the Mavs. Uh, the silver lining, though, is he hasn't played that much anyways. And we kind of know the situation with Moses Brown anyways. This is a guy who excels right around the basket, but it's situational. You put him against a Goliath and like a Rudy Gobert or a Cantor or something, you're probably not going to see much from him. But if you put him up against a guy who's 6'8", 6'9", he'll drop 20 and 10, and he'll probably have five blocks to go along with it. That's just the kind of player he is, very springy at 7'2", and a lot of it just comes from the second chance points that he's corralled for himself. Uh, and the only thing, or the, really the thing that tells you that, is his G League numbers. He was playing ping pong against the backboard last season because no one could stay up with him. He just is hopping around like crazy, like a little spring, the Pixar guy, just bouncing, bouncing, bouncing. He's going to get second chance opportunities unless you stack him up with somebody with similar stature or someone who can just hound you around the basket with their strength. You never found that in the G League and hell against like Laurie Markkinen in the Bulls game last year. He couldn't stop him either. He's seven feet tall, but he's not as athletic as Moses. So he can get hot. He can get stats really in a hurry. And when you compare the Thunder lineup to Moses Brown, I think Moses Brown could genuinely be uh, a little bit of a problem. Now, I don't know if his role will be off the bench, if he's even going to play that much, but I'm expecting him to check into the scores table at least at one point uh, during the course of this game. And when you look at the potential matchups, I think Moses Brown versus Jeremiah Robinson Earl uh, in terms of offense for the Mavs. It's going to lean towards Moses just because the rebounding alone, he's a very good rebounder, and just the athletic ability that he has around the cup. If Isaiah Roby is out there, Roby, he always struggles against the canters of the world. Now, is Moses Brown in that category? I'd probably say no, just because canters more strength post shots, whereas Moses Brown is, let me get a rebound, make one quick first step, and just slam it around the basket. Um, but I still think that would go in Brown's favor. The interesting parts go in the vets. If Derek Favors is out there versus Moses Brown, I think that's going to be your best matchup uh, defensively for Oklahoma City just because Derek Favors, he's six foot ten, pretty bulky guy. So I think the rim protection would be at its highest there. With Mike Muscala, pretty solid interior defender, so I wouldn't be that worried. Um, but if he's playing up against the six foot nine guys, that's when you start looking at this because if he gets on a roll around the rim, it's going to be a problem. Rebounding has been a problem for the Thunder in some moments where they just can't corral anything and then it leads to second chances. It leads to this, that. Just look at the Memphis Grizzlies game, right? And just paint defense as well. Moses Brown is someone who can put up points out of nowhere. And this is the kind of game that he'd be circling. This is the one he's been gunning at. He's coming back to the Paycom, might have some malice 
on his mind just because, hey, he was in a really good situation with them last year, gets traded twice, lands in Dallas, and he's almost in the same spot as two years ago where he's looking at a Texas legend stint instead of playing starting caliber minutes like he was last year. So I think the matchup leans towards Moses. He could go out there, do absolutely nothing, but he also could be that X factor just based on his resume alone and what type of player we know he is. That's the type of player that screws over the thunder, can completely change the tides of the game if the rebound battle goes in Moses Brown's favor. But you have that, you have Kristaps, and then you have SGA playing with no Luka Doncic. So SGA is in a situation where there's a battle-scarred Mavs team ahead of him. If he starts lighting it up from the floor, I think this is a good opportunity for him. Uh, then he can kind of get back on the momentum. Same goes for Lou. I think had Luka been playing, that would have been the defensive matchup for him. So he'll be eased up a bit there. Maybe translate that to a bit more offense. I know that's really not how it works for a guy like Lou, but you never know. He might be able to erupt. Just kind of one of those games where you don't have the Mavs at full strength. The Thunder come in at full strength. I think there could be a barrage of baskets. It all starts from getting those threes down from distance though. And then it kind of works its way back out. But two polarizing players in SGA and Trey Mann on tap for the game. And then you have the potential for the Thunder to take a win. Much needed one here as they are 8 and 17. Get up to 9 and 17. And they will be looking pretty, pretty solid. But I'm going to get you guys a game recap in the next one. A couple other storylines that I picked up throughout the break. Uh, but that's going to do it for today. So I really appreciate you guys listening to this episode and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.